Are you looking to optimize your performance, grow your mind, and change your system? Well, you've come to the right place. I'm Brad Baker. And I'm Tom Broback. And, and this, this is the Bold Base Performance Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to the show. Today, we bring back a podcast regular, my brother Charlie, to talk about his experience as a sports physical therapy resident. Charlie is currently a resident at M Health Fairview in Minneapolis, Minnesota. His history of being a competitive athlete, working with athletes at a variety of levels, and knowledge of the best rehab philosophies in physical therapy are all attributes sports physical therapists should possess. As for bold based performance, we have a lot going on. Our brand new Athletes with Athletes course is still being sold at the launch price until February 1st, so don't miss out. I just made a webinar for basketball players and coaches to improve their training and education to keeping their knees happy and healthy all season long. You can find that in the show notes. We also started a wait list for group coaching where we can take your knowledge and implementation of the pillars of performance to the next level. All of this stuff can be found in the show notes or at boldbaseperformance.com. Let's get on to the show. Fridays and with John Corbo, past guest and friend of this podcast. He's my mentor, so once a week I get to work with him. He was telling me a story about Dr. Ryan Fader, who's a surgeon at its sports and orthopedic specialist, okay. which is owned by Align Health. So he, him and John went to St. John's together, undergrad together, and now he's been in practice as a surgeon for three years. So we were talking about how how do you ch- implement changes into your practice as a PT versus a surgeon, and he was telling a story that Doctor Fader told told him about. He had a patient who had a, like a left hip scope done, so an arthroscopic surgery, probably like a labral repair or something like that, and he didn't like how he closed the capsule, and the patient had a hard time getting range of motion back after surgery. So then the next time the the same patient came in, I don't know the time frame, but later and had the same procedure done on their other hip. And in that time in between, he changed how he practiced his capsular closing. And he, he implemented his new technique for the first time on this patient. They had a lot better results. They had easier time. The hip wasn't as tight post-surgery and they had a lot better functional outcomes after that. And we were just talking about the differences between implementing changes into your practice as a surgeon and the implications those can have for the patient versus as a PT. It's just different implementing changes that you make to either exercise selection or technique or what you do with, with different people. And they're very different, but they both have can have a huge impact on your patient where like in PT, you can see that almost immediately, which is one thing I like about it. You kind of get some instant feedback, but just like, like with Dr. Fader, like he has the decision he made had long-term implications for the patient, but at the same time, like maybe as a PT, you can have those same implications if for the, to use that same example for hip range of motion if you, you know, if you went to a continuing ed course or just picking the brains of, of other PTs, if you change how your methods of gaining hip range of motion, that can have just as much impact on the patient's long-term outcomes versus in conjunction. That's why it's it's so important to have these relationships with surgeons and to work together as on the same level because the end goal is to get the patient better. Right. And that's all that really matters. And what we offer is different, but at the end of the day, like you have to work together. When you think about a scenario like that, does that give you more or less confidence in making changes with your patients? I think it gives me more because it forces me to spend more time either experimenting on myself or other people. And the, the, the thought process is a little bit longer and there's more detail to it. Like it's a, it's more well thought out. 
so it forces you to to spend more time in it and to think about it and to really understand what you're doing. You're not just flying by the seat of your pants anymore. I think that's one thing I've learned through the residency so far during residency versus like as a student, like my thought process is a lot more complicated, but it it makes things simpler for me, if that makes any sense. Yes, it does. Does it also put in perspective the risk reward ratio of what you are doing when you do make a change in someone's program? For example, when you're doing a surgery, the risk reward is a lot higher versus PT. It's a lot lower. So does it give you confidence to make changes and not worry so much about what the downside of making the change is? Because when you hear the surgery story, it's like, oh, wow, like that's that could be potentially life and death versus here might be a little more discomfort versus not. Yes and no. Okay. I think if you if you look at it that way, yes, like the risk reward, it's different. But if you're not if you're not, you know, taking risks from time to time or, you know, be, being able to adapt to what your patient is presenting with, that can have just as bad of long-term implications for your patient as right. a bad surgery could. Right. So if you have, say you have a patient who had an ACL surgery and if you're not, if you're not implementing a well thought out process that, that has worked in the past, so you have some anecdotal evidence and mm-hmm. some research to back up what you're doing. But not every patient follows the same plan. Not everyone's patient's rehab will be the same. Not every patient heals the same. Right. So you're not prepared enough to adapt and change. Like that patient, it's a nine-month, regular, like an ACL surgery is a nine-month process. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, if their healing is, you know, if they have, you know, if there's a stiffer knee joint, like what if they have to go back then for a mani- manipulation or a lysis or something like that because you weren't able to adapt to a more difficult knee versus somebody whose rehab was pretty smooth? Like that's not on the surgeon, that's on you. Right. And now the, there's a potential for another surgery just to get their knee range of motion back. So yes, the risk, I feel more confident implementing something that's quote unquote a, a risk but at the same time you can have that same long-term effect that a surgery could have right and then definitely in those um higher complex patients where they had a surgery or they have multiple diagnoses or they have chronic history of this you definitely have to be aware because those implications can be long-lasting if you're not working on range of motion if you're not doing strength right away if you're giving them kind of false hope or where this thing's going to land. So you give me good answers. So I guess I have to ask more specific questions here, <laughs> but so I guess the, the, the point I was going to is more towards like a lower level, like uh, someone has an ankle sprain and you're really just sitting, should I do bilateral or unilateral? It's like, it doesn't really matter. Like just get a move in, like figure out like the consequences of a lower level patient aren't as severe. So you, I would think you would have more confidence in that. But I like your answer with the higher level scenario patient. Right. So with the lower level scenario, definitely there's there's more confidence. And it, I, this sounds bad. I don't mean it for it to sound bad. But you get that little freedom of experimentation. Right. So maybe there's a new exercise or a new manual therapy technique or something different that you right. want to implement. That's where that, that low risk component of, of rehab comes in. And... If they, if you're confident it's not going to have some sort of negative effect, like it's definitely worth trying on these patients because maybe it's like you said, like bilateral versus unilateral, or just to use that example, long term, that's not going to make a difference. Right. So yeah, it's it's fun working with those patients because it gives you a little bit more freedom to try some stuff, especially for me as a new therapist. The only way you get that confidence in implementing theories and ideas that you have is by by doing it right so those lower level patients having that kind of low risk versus other patients it it gives you that freedom and gives you a little bit more confidence to implement something different or something you learned when you're going through a residency does your thought process slow down because there's so much information and so many 
so much awareness of the new research, different techniques, talking to colleagues, and you just get bogged down and almost, you know, paralysis by analysis? Or do you see it in a different way where it gets really streamlined because you figure you're, you're better at picking out what is best, what is optimal, what's most efficient, what is best in this scenario, and you actually make decision making a little bit better? So both. Right. I think early on, because like this is my first job as a PT, so mm-hmm. I'm still... I'm a first year PT still. Right. So early on, it was definitely that paralysis by analysis. Part of the residency is we get a lot of time to, like we have didactic time. So we we have lectures, we have labs, we have research presentations once a week. We have journal clubs. We're expected to stay up to date on research outside of our practice time. So early on, you're you're trying to implement and then you're trying to remember everything you learned in school still. Right. That's not second nature yet. Yeah. So early on, I, it was really easy to overthink things to try and implement every single research article I read all at once, or even just reading a research article. I need to, my thought process was I need to understand every single word that's written in this 13 page article. As I've moved on, it's become more what more prior I got better at prioritizing things. What is one thing I want to learn from this article? What is one thing I can implement into my practice? What is one thing I want to gain from this patient's appointment today? So I've started to streamline it a little bit more. And then I think my mindset has changed from you there was some pressure i think early on like i'm a resident i need to be on the top of my game all the time i need to have the best and the most recent research to back up my practice and all that stuff but then i realized like okay this is a year to learn it's not a year to to be perfect so i think that that mindset to take everything as an opportunity to learn and that approach has helped me a ton, both with everything within patient care and then all the stuff we're learning outside of it too. Right. And with the perspective of not being perfect every day, but in a year from now, how am I going to be overall? Am I much elevated than when I first came in? Mm-hmm. And then for my next opportunity, my next job, my next employer, how am I going to be an asset to them and and provide for them? Because if you try to be perfect every single day you're going to lose some of that growth because you're not making mistakes you're not you're not willing to learn you're not trying new things you're not asking questions you know if you're not asking questions you're always trying to think you know everything it actually limits your ceiling i think when you're when you're younger but it's hard it's hard to be confident when you don't have that experience Mm -hmm. um as a pt when especially in that first year you're just trying to figure out up, up from down Especially with patients when they ask you, like, how long have you been doing this? Yeah, it's a, that's, a, that's a tough <laughs> question to answer. You always, my answer is always, I'm in my first year. Okay. I would always add the time in as a student. So if I was a student for a year and it was like my second year being PT, they like, got oh, three years. I'd always round up. With right. But then <laughs> if you if you think about how much time you spent in clinic as a student, it's probably like 30 weeks. Right. It's not even, it's, you know, 60% of a year. <laughs> Still, yeah, that's still round up. Um, I like I like growth. You use that word, and that's kind of been my mindset. Like, I look at where I am or where I was in October, and then when I graduate from residency in August, where I am then. I think the, that's the measuring stick I want to use as to how I've developed over the last year versus trying to be a perfect clinician every single day. It's just not it's not feasible and perfect such a it's more of an idea versus something that's attainable so i i have a growth the growth mindset has been a game changer for me do you look at growth over the set of a year or like 6 months or a month or a week or within a day like how does how does your brain work everything like it's now it's what's one thing i can learn today what's one thing i can improve today and i start with that and then i think those changes like i've I think I have goals for things I want to accomplish within the year. And then, but it's, it starts with the, that daily growth mindset. Like, how can I improve today? Because if you're, if you're just thinking, okay, I need to get better by the end of the year, 
well, how do you do that? Right. That that's way too long of a, a time frame to, you know, like objectively measure yourself. Correct. Versus right. you got to break it down. Like these little things add up every mm-hmm. single day, and that's how you develop good habits. That's how you develop new new routines. That's how you develop new ideas, and then you can implement them and practice them day after day. And that's how you're going to actually see that long-term growth. So I guess, I guess, yes, like you, I look at it from a day, a week, a month, six months, a year. But I think my focus right now is day by day. And then to measure how much I grow, you kind of look back. You'll how are you looking back? So when you're halfway up the mountain, are you someone who looks back at the bottom of the mountain and appreciate the, the yes. how far you've come? You, yeah. you take time to appreciate that? Or are you someone think, who's just like, I, think that's I know a, I've come that far, but I'm looking, I'm, st- I'm still not there yet. I think it's important to appreciate how far you've come because I think that's a sign that you're enjoying the process. Right. And I think the process is, it, it's bigger than, if you enjoy the process versus just focusing totally on the end goal, I think that makes it easier to to want to keep going. You know, if you're you're in something, if you're in the nitty gritty, but you enjoy being in the nitty gritty of improving yourself every day, I think it's important to look back. But it's also important to not dwell on that, because I think that's where complacency sets in. You know, if you're halfway up Everest, you're like, wow, I'm pretty high up. This is fifteen thousand feet or whatever. Right. That's pretty good. Yeah, and you can kind of get stuck in that. Yeah. When you hit that end goal for different things in your life, do you? feel better than when you were going on the journey and what i mean by that is sometimes that end goal you can almost have a disappointing feeling because you expected so much and then when you actually get there your expectations were way too high and you weren't versus like and, and a great example of this is like vacation when you plan a vacation six months away the six months leading up to it is is awesome because you're looking forward to it but then the actual vacation it's not going to be a 10 out of 10 every single day. Like you're still going to have, you might have a headache one day. You might, you know, miss your flight. You might, there are things that happen where it's not perfect, but your thought leading up to it is it's going to be perfect. So going back to your career, like when you're done with the residency, are you going to fully appreciate, Hey, I'm done. Or is it just, Hey, I'm on to the next thing. Like, this is great. But that's a really good question. <laughs> Cause that's happened to me. It's like when I got done PT school, I was just like, okay, onto the job PT school was I was so looking forward to it for so long and then like when you're in it you appreciate a lot of it but you don't fully appreciate it because you just want to be done and then when you're done it's like oh I, I guess I'm done and it's just kind of this weird you think you'd feel the best you ever have and you don't and it's kind of weird you start grappling with those emotions yeah that's I agree I kind of had a similar experience with PT school especially we finished during COVID so we, yeah, didn't you guys really, had a... we didn't have any sort of closure. There's no graduation, no ceremony. And just the structure of PT school, like you finish with working in clinic versus, you know, taking like your last final, mm-hmm. for example. So we de- I definitely had that sense of, all right, I'm done. It, it felt like it diminished what I had accomplished just given the the context that we, we finished school in. So I I definitely relate to you there where like when you're in it, like you don't fully appreciate everything about it because you have so much other going, you're just trying to survive a lot of times, but looking back on it, I think I appreciate it more now than I did then. And that's true of a lot of things in life. Like look back at our childhood. Did you appreciate everything mom and dad did for us then? Definitely not at the time. Right. I think that's part of growth and maturity and the learning process of just life in general. You'll it's really hard for the average person to truly appreciate something like in the moment. And that's why I think it's important to practice like mindfulness and things like that, because it helps you appreciate things in the moment. Um, but to answer your question about like applying that to residency right it's different than like i guess the only measuring tool i have is pt school like those are two very different animals that i'm dealing with something's like this is my career this is my life now it's something i've I've always wanted to do Mm -hmm. 
Um, I, I guess I don't really know. It, it'll be hard to... I'm trying to appreciate the process as much as I can because I know I'm learning a lot. I'm, I'm getting a lot of really cool experiences. And, and then when I'm done and when I move on to the next career goal, I, I hope I have the awareness to appreciate and truly like love what I did in the last year. Speak to some of the challenges first year PT students have had this last year with COVID, with the state of the economy, with just the difficulty finding jobs, with overcoming all of you that. Mean PT graduates? Yeah. Not not students. Graduates, correct. Gotcha. So like okay. you're yep. Yeah. Um so a lot of people get into PT because they want to work in the medical field or they but they you know you don't want to be a nurse or you don't want to be a doctor like it's kind of that you get a doctorate degree but it's a little bit more of that nine to five lifestyle and the job market's great like it's healthcare everyone people get sick people get hurt right. people have surgery people like that's not going away so it's it's a nice profession to have some stability when you graduate. And with COVID, that was just taken away from everyone. Except I accepted a residency position March 2nd. So maybe like a week, right before a week before the shutdowns happened and the week limitations before COVID really kicked in. Yep. Took, up, took off in the U.S. So I never, my only worry was, is the residency going to happen on time? Right. So that was that was kind of the the challenge that was set on me versus a lot of my classmates didn't find jobs until recently. Right. And it's been six, eight we graduated months. In May. Yeah. yeah, seven months ago. So that's been hard and then a lot of the demand has been in like a, a transitional care, skilled nursing facility, like nursing home, hospital. It's there's people who want to work in those settings, but that those are the only jobs. So if you don't want to work in those that setting, right. do you wait mm-hmm. until an outpatient orthopedic job, a sports medicine job, opens up? Mm-hmm. The issue with that is that the jobs that were being posted, um, you, you know, some of like the bigger sports medicine companies would post one job, and then two hundred people would apply to it. Right. So as a new student. Now you're one of 200 people and they're looking at you. You have no experience. You have no specialty certifications. Like mm-hmm. They throw your application away right. unless you have some sort of in yep. or you, you know, you did and even for the people who did their clinicals at some of these bigger companies that they wanted to work at after. Right. Cause when they're a, no jobs B yeah. you're competing with people who have way more experience or are coming from, you know, they have a specialty certification. They're just more qualified than a, a first-year graduate. Right. So I've, I'm talking to a lot of my classmates, that was challenging for a lot of them. Do you, do you anticipate those challenges still being there this next year or two? So I think, I think it's different because the challenges will be, at least uh, talking to Concordia, where I went to PT school, they're behind. So the right. second year students had to take incompletes on classes because they couldn't complete the in person oh. like a lab component. Yeah, sure. So I don't know if they're I don't know if they're on planning to graduate in May. Right. Like they've had a and then places are taking students as for your clinical rotations. Some places aren't. So there's that component like are they even going to graduate on time or they have to go an extra semester i don't know so they have their i think they have other challenges that they're dealing with right now but the job market hasn't changed really in the last eight months from the people who want to work in if you want to work in sports medicine or outpatient orthopedic physical therapy there just aren't jobs so and I think a lot of companies aren't even back a hundred percent of their current employees. Like, there's still right. Some are still furloughed. Some people exactly. like, were laid off so, and they're rehiring back. Like, there's a lot of. I think with everything so with COVID, put 
push the timeline back further than you think right. and further than you what you want. You have to really change your expectations with this. What challenges have you seen with the athletes that you've interacted with and the sports teams you've interacted with over this last, you know, six to eight months? Uncertainty has been the biggest one. Right. Every week. So in the fall, we were in the high schools working with the football team. Yeah. Every week was a question mark. Are we going to play this week? And just I putting myself in their shoes. Imagine working and practicing all week, and then your game gets taken away on a Friday. And you were at Lakeville South for the football season. Which they were really lucky. They didn't have a single game. They played. They were the only team in 6A, so the biggest class in Minnesota, right. to play all their games that were scheduled. They okay, only so had, they had, they had no cancellations? No cancellations. They had some, like a change of opponent. Okay, a swap, yep. Yep, okay. because, because of COVID, but... That generally worked out in their favor. They got a either a better. I guess they only had one game where that even happened. It was the last game of the year. So, but still, you're dealing with that uncertainty that the game that it didn't happen to them. But it's just a the mindset for them. Like it was impressive because how do you stay prepared? How do you stay right. still have that competitive edge when you don't know if you're playing every week? Right. And, I'm going to stick you on that. How, how do would you? If you were an athlete right now and you have all this uncertainty and we're talking about growth and expectations and come, overcoming adversity, how do you stay in a good mindset that you can enhance your career, you can be a better athlete, you can do the best you can do given the unknowns? I think you just take you keep your approach. Like I know there is a level of uncertainty, but... I think it's it's important for that usually starts with the coaches, the culture they've cr- created that mm-hmm. we're going to play on Friday and until we're told otherwise that's our mindset. So they're not changing the like they don't use it as a possibility. It's we'll cross our bridge if we get there. Right. We're not going to change our practice schedule for the week because we there's some uncertainty on Friday. We're practicing, we're preparing like we're playing on Friday. And I think that was watching, in my situation, Lakeville South play, I didn't think there was a game where they looked unprepared or they came out flat or, like, that coaching staff did a heck of a job. And I think the athletes get a ton of credit, too. These kids were ready to go every single week. And that's why I think they went undefeated and were ranked number one at the end of the state with or at the end of the season without any formal state tournament. So... To answer your question, how do you apply it to other sports in life right now? Don't you, I don't think you need to change your approach. Just right. prepare like you're going to play on the set date at the set time. And then when adversity comes, I think your preparedness allows you to handle that better than if you're playing or you're preparing with this level of uncertainty. I think it changes your focus. I think it changes how much you can devote yourself to truly preparing yourself. Like I think if you just don't change anything, keep your focus, prepare like your game is on Friday or whatever day of the week. And best case scenario, it happens and you're ready. Worst case scenario, it gets pushed back or whatever. And then you just got to keep going. I don't know. It's such a unique challenge. It absolutely is. And everyone's facing the same challenge. And I talked to every coach about this. Everyone's going through the same thing. So you can have days and times where you feel sorry for yourself or you're, you're a little bit down or you're just a little bit unsure of what, what's going to happen. But every single person, especially in like the U.S., is going through this right now. Going back to worrying and playing for the unknown, I heard on a recent podcast, for every 100 things that you worry about, 80 of them won't happen at all and 17 of them won't be as bad as you think they will. So for 100 things you're worrying about, 97 of them are not going to happen or won't be as bad as you anticipate. And to use that into what you just said, if you're a high school athlete, if you're a college athlete, if you're coaching you know, third graders, just focus on the practice today because you know you have that practice today. You don't know what Friday's going to bring. You don't know what two weeks is going to bring. You don't know what a year is going to bring. And maybe this is all a great time period for us to build 
these skills and these tools because we can deal with worries and anxiety anticipations a lot better down the road because we are forced in a time where you can't really plan even two weeks from now, much less two months, six months, or a year. I think that's one of the positives you can take out of this time. It is focus people to worry about your day to day Mm -hmm. because that's all you can control. Even in normal times, that's all you can control. Right. So I I think it's it's put that that frame of mind that I think will give people the best opportunity to be successful in their day to day in this situation. Control what you can control, and that's usually what you do. Your effort in your attitude on a daily basis and whatever happens happens you're going to be prepared for it either way i think it's easy to lose sight of that day-to-day but covid is for especially from an athletics perspective right all you can control is what you do in practice how you prepare on a day-to-day basis do you have that similar mindset when you're a pt you just control your schedule for that day you control what you can give your patients you Try not to worry about the things you can't control, like the patient's attitude, someone running late, one of your coworkers playing loud music that you don't like, you know, that kind of thing. Do you apply that same approach? Yes, because in my experience in the last six months or so, the residency started, we were supposed to start in August, and we started in October. So my mindset changed from, like, woe is me, we missed two months. I mean, especially like in September, I was just sitting around thinking about what I should be doing, but I'm just thankful that we, we had a residency start. So that mindset changed. And then I got, like, I just came off, I tested positive for COVID on the December 31st. So I missed a whole week of work. So then that really like brought that mindset into focus. Like, you're lucky to have this right now. Right. Take every day as it comes. That's all you can really control. The control what you can control. Patients who are late, patients who are unmotivated, work conditions. Everybody's going through the same thing. My situation isn't special. Just focus on what you can bring each and every day. As a resident, how do you handle a situation when you have an idea of what you want to do that is completely different from what your mentor wants to do or from what a colleague wants to do? Like they are on opposite ends of the spectrum and you really firmly believe you should take a different approach to a situation than from what they're doing. I think the nice thing about the residency is you get opportunities to address these things. Okay. And it's not, you have to approach it as, you can't approach it as, you're wrong, I'm right, and here's why. Right. You approach Which is it a as, fault most people do. Right. They so come... you, I approach it as, I see why you do what you do. Here's what I do, and here's the evidence I have, whether it's anecdotal or in the literature. And you just frame it that way. You can't control what other people do, so there's, right. no, there's no point trying to piss off your coworkers because you think what they're doing is wrong or outdated, but just, this is what I do. And if they want to take something, take something from that, great. And you, you taught something to someone else. Right. And if they don't, that's fine. And most times, you know, you're going the you're going similar paths, but you're just taking a different approach to it. So you probably end up at the same point anyways. Exactly. So as long as you feel, their, if their patient's getting better and your patient's getting better, what, What's the difference? Right. And the risk reward is similar. Like there's low risk, there's high reward. Right. You're doing the best you can for the patient. Then I think we get really set, especially as therapists, like set into camps. Like, oh, I'm a McKenzie therapist. I'm a manual therapist. I'm a, you know. You do, you take... think, do you think it's always been that way? Or do you think that's changed over? Look at, like, look at, I think of it of everything. Like, look at nutrition. People are in their camps to right. the point where they put it in their Instagram profile. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty nuts look at politics how divided politics is right look at even just like athletes like people are lebron james people or people are mj people right i don't don't know if that's like a cultural thing yeah that the world has kind of taken you know i think the part of that is social media like it's easy to feed yourself stuff that just reinforces your ideas is the confirmation bias 
Right. You believe one thing, so you only read stuff that supports that, that argument. Exactly. And I think you just get further and further down. So right. yes, in PT, it's it's definitely that way with with their people get set up in their camps and they subscribe to this idea. Right. And so hold your thought there. So we have that situation. We also have a different situation, maybe 300 years ago, where you only knew one idea because you only lived in a village with 100 people and you all believed, you know, you were all conservative or you were all liberal or you all thought going to bed early was great or you all thought this was the best way to like grow food. And now you're not exposed to those new ideas. So you have two radically different things. And I don't think one is necessarily better than the other. I think they have their pros and cons. But I don't think comparing the situation to now is automatically worse than what it used to be. So would a lack of information be better and we more people agreed on it? I don't think so. I agree with that. I think it's also today not as good to stake your camp and then never let any new ideas in or out. Because then that's when we get into these hostile environments where I think my way is best. You're in this other camp. I'm never going to listen to you. I'm not going to take anything from you. Then we then we get stagnant and we don't grow. Right. Because what if it doesn't work? Right. Especially in, in medicine, my one of our professors in PT school, my favorite line from him was, not every patient reads the textbook. Yep, yep. So you can so explain that a little more. So, so yeah. So in uh, it's a great phrase, it, and it's usually applied to like a diagnosis. So a patient presents with low back pain, and um, you know they they're supposed to be in the book. It says, okay, this is what you're going to see. It's this, 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 this list of five things. This patient will check off every single box, and this is how you approach. Right. But then a patient will come in in real life and it's the opposite of everything you learned in school. So mm-hmm. how do you pivot now? Right. That's why I don't think in therapy, like these camps are set up and these people are, I, I'm a, this therapist or I only believe in this and everything can be healed by this. But what if it doesn't? Right. Nothing in medicine is 100% effective. So I think the therapists that I learn a lot from or I aspire to be more like are the ones who can think on their feet and when plan A, B, C, and D aren't working because a, ther- or a patient isn't a classic presentation of whatever you're working with, then how do you adjust? It's, it's the same the- thing in sports. When you you have a team philosophy, you know, like in basketball, like we're going to press, we're going to run, we're going to do this, or, you know, we're going to shoot a bunch, bunch of three-pointers. And then you get a group of kids who that's not their strengths. And as a coach, how do you respond to that? Do you just try to just plug them in your system and like, hey, if it fits, it does. If it doesn't, like whatever. Or do you adjust? Do you slow the game down? Do you get a different offense? Do you work your transitions different? It's so similar to sports is how are you adapting to the situation? What's your plan B? What's your plan C? And that's even like in therapy, it's session to session. In sports, it's game to game. Just because this is your team for the year doesn't mean you have to do the same thing every single game. I think we see a lot of good coaches do that, especially, for example, like in the NFL. You'll see Bill Belichick one week. They'll throw the ball a ton, and then they'll run the ball a ton, and then they'll key in on this guy, and then they'll key in. And there's so many adaptations. That's why I think it's a playoff so cool. They have more time to look at that stuff and get these matchups and, and everything. So That's why I always think it's interesting when coaches are picked. It's like, oh, he's a spread guy. He's right. a power He's a pro-style guy, eye formation. I just think it's funny when coaches get pegged like that because I don't think it's... I think the coaches that you see that have that long-term success, like the Belichicks of the world, um, uh, Greg Popovich, like guys like that, right. like they, they adapt to what they're given. So I always think it's... I always think it's funny when coaches try and force their system on their players instead of trying to adapt the other way around so instead of adapting your players to the system adapt your system to the players right and you've seen this with coach Saban with Gino with coach K yeah they Saban's have a program yeah they have a program they have a system Saban was like defense first coach K was three and four year players Gino is probably pretty similar and now it's like freshman play they play right away they're really good let's get more like highly touted freshmen in here Saban like change everything to offense and it worked and adapting to that without sacrificing 
your philosophies and your principles of like who you are as a team and as a program and as a person and as a coach, it takes a lot of skill and a lot of art in that. Yeah. And I think that can be applied to therapy. Like coaches, I think you're, when you strip them of all like the fluff and everything they've accomplished and everything, the X's and the O's, like what are your core principles as a coach? What do you want to accomplish as a team? What do you want to develop in, especially at college? Like you're trying to turn these from kids, like 18 year olds, you're still a kid into like grown men and PT. Like if you strip every, everything you learned, every technique, every new exercise, all the research, like what are the core principles that you live by and that you can apply to every single patient, no matter what they're presenting with or what level they're at. I, I think that's where, you know, that's where like the greats kind of truly differentiate themselves like Saban's a defensive guy. They had a lot of games where they let up a lot of points this year. Right. But at the end of the day, like his core principles that apply to his team year in and year out shine through. And that's why he wins. Right. And when you're winning 50 to 25, you can live with that because that's relatively similar winning 30 mm-hmm. to 3. Because mm-hmm. your your offense is dictating the pace and flow of the game. And you're going to concede. Typically, you're going to concede more points because your defense is not. The offense is scoring quicker. The defense doesn't have much time to rest. Like the other teams get more opportunities. You kind of have to live with some of those consequences. So, in therapy, one way that really helped me was so I really like to advocate for my patients to be autonomous and give them as much education as possible, but like have them do the stuff. And you know, with manual therapy, it's such a hot topic. Like, does it work? Does it doesn't? Is it good? Is it not? But then, like, you find this blend where it's like, oh, there's some self-mobilizations they can do at home. Here's, like, a manual therapy technique your your spouse or your kid or your husband or wife, whatever, can do on you. And I can still blend what I think is philosophically important for my patients, but also with some techniques I think that have some value and find that crossroad. The I think I, I like what you said there because I I had an experience with a patient who she she's having a lot of neck pain and I very much my go to is, is a movement based approach how we can get you moving better right right away what exercises can you do at home and I couldn't find a single exercise that wasn't painful for her mm-hmm. so I did I I don't love doing this but I'm, I'm doing manual therapy for most of a session. And over time, like it just, that's where she was seeing improvements. So I think that's where pain kind of plays a big role. And that's, it's such a complicated thing, but if you can kind of, there's more than one way that you can address pain. If you can, sometimes for patients, that's all they need. Like if they can, that sensation of pain gets reduced or goes away, then the movement comes back. And so sometimes I, that was a situation where I kind of reverse engineered my thought process. Mm Mm-hmm. I think we saw a lot of this too over COVID with especially in, in PT, but also in strength conditioning where kids are stuck at home and they still need to work out. So we got into lifting with back, like put books in your backpack and put that in your back for weight, you know, go on more walks, you know, spend more time outside, like play with your siblings more, things like that, where it's not mean your, your plan and your schedule and your goals, but you're adapting to the situation and making the best of it. And that's why I think COVID has really forced us to do as therapists and coaches, how can you get the same results from your athletes when you're really restricted in time, equipment, location, contact, that the person to person contact has, and you've seen that absolutely with, you know, if you, if you get COVID, you can't go in, you can't help people. If your patient has COVID, they can't come in. There's so many different variables we've seen with that in the last year. And sometimes with that stuff, like you take, Say a high school athlete right. who maybe has Division One sports aspirations, and now they're forced to train at home. Maybe your mindset is, all right, let's maybe we can't. Your goals change, so maybe we can't. You can't load them the way you could in a gym, but how can we keep them where they're at? So right. then, when they can return, they're not. They didn't take two steps back, or yep. they weren't inactive for two months. I think. In therapy too, like sometimes you need to just figure out, okay, how can we not regress? Right. I don't, I don't think that's a bad mindset to have from time to time because right. I think it helps you get through the hard times where you, you're not going to improve every single day. You're going to have 
days where you regress or you you don't perform your best or but how do you handle those to get back to where you were so then you're set up to move forward in the future i think it's important to have that mindset too and that's not like a losing mindset to have right because life's not perfect life's not going to go your way every single day and that applies to everything from therapy to sports to school to your work like sometimes you have to think all right how can i get through this day and not make myself lose any sort of progress like sometimes you just have to be all right i did my best to stay where i'm at and now i'm set up to progress in the future so applying that to your situation if you're looking at 52 weeks like last year what percent of that time has been growth what percent of that time has been just kind of like maintenance and what percent of that time has been like a lost step back or like i've gotten worse or like it didn't go as expected for you i think that's hard to put in numbers on that. I would like to think a majority of the time, like well over 50% has been growth. Right. I think that that week off when I had COVID was, that was a week of, okay, how do I not lose? That was harder. Like I had a lot of momentum going. I had a routine. I had like, I had set amount of hours. Like I was putting in well over 40 hours just of time to to dedicated to the residency right in a week and then you get a week off and 30 hours of my week was gone because that's how much time i'm in clinic Mm -hmm. so it was more of okay how do i kind of maintain where i was at and not try to restart over on monday and you probably had to work just as hard to maintain as you did to grow some weeks because of the limitations you had right it was difficult because there's only it's hard to spend eight hours a day reading research or working on like a lot of the stuff we do is similar. Like it's academic material that you did in school that we're learning. So how do you spend a work day filling that entire time and be productive? Like it's really hard. So that, that week was a fight to not, not develop bad habits but also like trying to, I mean, I would, I had some symptoms for a couple of days, so I'm trying to like fight that off too. Um, I think the other time was from August to October when we were supposed to be starting, but didn't start. I like to count that because I also had hip surgery, so that was, that was a totally different animal. But how can I best prepare myself for October when we do start? So that was uh, that was an opportunity to. Like, I was ready by August, and I knew well before August that we weren't starting in August, but I was ready to go in August. So then to have that taken away, it was uh, two months of how do I not lose that readiness? So I guess, I don't know if you want to divide up time, two months plus one, one week. <laughs> Too much math for a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Since, so, we are, since we are talking about goals and motivation and responding to adversity, let's wrap up the podcast with... Give us one goal that you have for yourself in the near future. It could be related to COVID, could be related to residency, could be anything. And then also give a goal athletes should have given the uncertain circumstances of the next three to six months. Give a goal that they should set for themselves as well. So for me, I have a presentation that I'm giving at the end of March. So that's kind of my my big goal right now is to be as well prepared for that as I can. And then I want people to take something from it. Like you're delivering this, I'm delivering this presentation to surgeons and to sports med primary care physicians and to PTs who have been working in the field for a long time and may have more experience and more expertise than I do. But that doesn't mean they can't learn something from me. So my mindset is how can I be best prepared to deliver a presentation on something that people may think they know a lot about but i want them to learn something from me as a first year pt resident so that that's my big goal right now my my kind of short-term goal um to answer for for the athletes i think whatever goal i mean i'm sure the the kids that you have goals for what you want to accomplish and in a let's say a high school setting so 
I don't think that kids need to be changing their goals. Right. Keep pushing for what you want because that's why you that's why you play these sports in the first place because you love them and you have stuff that you want to accomplish. You want to push yourself. I don't think state your standards of excellence or what you want to accomplish need to be changed just because there's a global pandemic going on. That might make it more difficult and, and that might make how you go about it change a little bit, but I would, I would never encourage anyone to lower their expectations for themselves just because times are a little bit tough. Everyone's going through it. Right. Because there's going to be people who don't, they keep pushing, they have the same goals and they're pushing themselves to be the best. And they're going to be prepared for when some sense of normalcy comes back. So if you're not doing that too, then you're, you're going to fall behind. So I would say whatever you want to accomplish as an athlete, keep pushing for that. And if anything, when time turns normal, you're going to be better prepared because you have the experience of right now when a lot of things are taken away from you. Great way to wrap up the podcast. Really excited for that presentation you're giving in March. We'll let our viewers know about that. If you have any questions, you can reach out. What's the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, probably social media and Instagram. It's CG Bro back 20, CG Bro 22. I don't even know. I think so. We'll put it in yeah. the show notes. Don't worry about it. Show notes. He's busy in residency. He doesn't have too much time for social media, but I guarantee you're you're going to hear more of Charlie Broback on the Bold Base Performance Podcast. Thank you for being a guest. Thank you for taking time. And uh, like I said, good luck with the rest of, the, of your residency. Thanks. Huge fan of the podcast. Um, I love what you guys are doing and watching you guys grow over... How long have you had this now? Over we a start, year. It's been... It's been... We started... No, it was, it was, we started in 2020. It was, Mar- it was May 2020, I think. So we're coming so, up on a year. So yeah. yeah. It's it's cool to be to kind of get in a, at the ground floor with with a uh, something like no this. I, that's a lie I think it was May 2019 I think it's been almost two years now yeah yeah so I, I got that timeline yeah, yeah it's been it's been almost two years now you know time flies say, and you're having fun exactly so it's it's been fun to be a part of this process I appreciate you guys having me on and yeah I'll be, I'll be back in the future. Man.